Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 178, recorded on March the 15th, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. So let's start with the fact that it is now a year since Tony Holopainen passed. Time flies. Um, I, I tweeted it on the day that he did pass. And I, I, I remember you calling me, Simon. And that, that was a bizarre call. Yeah. I, I hope I will never have to experience anything like that again. Um, that, that was, that was something it's, it's been a year again. Um, and I, I find myself that I, I, I think about him more than I, I thought I would. Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think we have spoken about so many things and we haven't spoken about a number of things that he would have really loved to speak about. We haven't had a single admin center news item <laughs> probably. Oh, no. Um, and also I, I've kind of get I, I think he would be have had been very proud over my daughter because every single time we hear any kind of metal music on the radio she says this is what tony had liked so so she basically speaks as often about tony as she speaks about her grandfather who, who died 14 years ago or something like that um, so he he's an integrated part of our family, which that works. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I'll ever stop smiling when I think back to the the uh, the funeral service. Yeah, and the result of playing his very loud and very <laughs> black metally music on the very small speakers in the chapel. Yeah, <laughs> they were really not equipped to handle that. No, and I, I and I'm I'm pretty sure that he would have been he he'd have laughed his ass off <laughs> if he'd seen that. So I think I'll take that as a win. Yeah. So he he is missed and um, he will be missed. And I think the once we get back and we'll speak more about events later in this episode. But once we get back to events, that will be a an even harder time. Yeah. Because he he loved to be at events, especially ignite. I was about, just about to say that, especially Ignite will be uh, bittersweet in, mm-hmm. in many ways. But what is not bittersweet is the fact that Haney and I went to London to SQL Bits, and we're going to come back to SQL Bits, but we've finally figured out, or Haney finally figured out where Kubernetes is. Yeah, so <laughs> there was this... <laughs> situation at SQL Bits where Ben Weisman was doing his session on Azure Arc-enabled services. And whenever he would say Kubernetes, that would show up in the transliteration as Kubernetes. And it sounded like a Cuban restaurant. And lo and behold, that's actually a Cuban restaurant. (laughs) And it is in New Jersey. Yes. Which is even more fun. So... And we had a discussion with um, with Ben and Buck Woody of Microsoft that uh, Kubernetes sounds like a franchise, and 
yeah, you can imagine everything just spiraled completely out of control. But yeah, Kubernetes is a thing. Now you know. Yes. I still have no idea what Kubernetes is, but Kubernetes, <laughs> that sounds good. I, I would be more than happy to learn more about Kubernetes rather than Kubernetes. <laughs> Funny you should say that. A lot of people reacted in the exact same way. Exactly. And I, I think that says more about, well, Kubernetes than food. But what do I know? I'm so confused now. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Just, just imagine how confused I were when someone entered. We have found Cuban Eddies in our <laughs> notes before this episode. Slightly confused. Just a tad. Yeah. So, Simon, I have it on good authority that there are some security updates. Yeah, and it's 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 really not news, but I think it's a good clarification on some of the services that's been around for a while, but where we haven't had the hardware to fully support it just yet. But now it's out, and uh, David Weston, who is the VP of um, OS Security and Enterprise at Microsoft, tweeted two threads uh, a few days ago on, first, the um, Microsoft Pluton, so not Pluto, Pluton security processor, which is basically a first-party TPM kind of device. And sorry now if I've completely messed it up. But it's a security processor that integrates on the same way as a TPM. And that enables Microsoft to release firmware updates to the TPM or the Pluton processor whenever they want, uh, basically enhancing the features of that. That leads us in to the next thing, which is something that's been around for a very long time. And now we realize more what it can do. Because if we now have a ship, which can be fully managed, controlled, and updated, and integrated with from a Microsoft point of view, we can now use device health attestation to do some really cool things. Because we trust the hardware and the operating system that runs on top of it. And we can't, as an administrator, trick the ship. So some examples um, David have on how to use this. Imagine the scenario that you will allow a device to connect to OneDrive and SharePoint. But you won't allow it to connect to OneDrive and SharePoint if you are in safe mode. Or if a certain service isn't running. And without this attestation service and without the TPM, you as an administrator could actually trick that service. And if you now have a device in safe mode or you turn off whichever feature you want in within Windows, it will instantly disconnect you from some services. And, and it just keeps on going because this is, according to David, the real bit when it comes to zero trust because you as an admin can't trick the device in, in this way. And we will, of course, see ways of coming around it. But that way of ensuring that a machine is updated every single second and fulfills the requirements we have on it and then withdraws whatever connection it has if it doesn't fulfill our security requirements, that is immensely powerful. So th this is essentially the secure enclave taken to the next level. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, though, that chip... Is that a part of the CPU? Is it a part of the motherboard? Where where is it? Do do you have any idea? Yes, we actually have in this in the show notes we have a um, reference architecture of that chip, 
and, and it's built together with AMD, Intel, and Qualcomm. So all of them are able to add it to their system, are able to add them uh, to their uh, boards, basically, and it will live next to the CPU. And you will have a possibly possibility to connect this ship to the cloud through Windows. Interesting. So um, un until such time that this gets broken yeah. into, then, then we have uh, zero trust. Because as you say, zero trust is only usable until such time that it is broken into. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah. Uh, I, I can see this being the main target for hackers for quite some time. Yeah, and the thing is that if, if you interfere with the ship in any way, it will not allow you to boot anymore. So that's that's the thinking around the TPM, that if you do anything that breaks the integrity of the ship, then you should not be able to boot. And you're going to have one hell of an interesting um, denial of service attack. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Speaking about attacks, that was a horrible segue. Um, there's an there's an ongoing war in Ukraine, uh, and I had the pleasure of speaking to Sandra Elvin, who is the national security officer of Microsoft in Sweden, last week for my work podcast Sackett, and we spoke about what Microsoft are doing to help Ukraine, uh, but also to to work with. Uh, European and other countries in, in building our defense towards a hybrid warfare that we definitely will see more prevalent moving forward and, and which is a real threat that will affect Swedish organizations and probably already have uh, targeted Swedish organizations. But it was quite interesting to learn of, of how integrated Microsoft and probably many of the other big tech vendors are in this and Microsoft have also stopped uh, selling licenses and, and services and hardware in Russia but Microsoft are working actively in supporting the the Ukraine government and the Ukraine defense uh, to protect them against cyber attacks uh, but they are also of course working with um, uh, the European Union NATO and so on to ensure that we build a better defense towards that kind of warfare and, and I think it's interesting to see the role that these big tech companies will take in the future. And, and especially in Sweden, where we have an ongoing discussion or debate around should we as a company or a country use American cloud services? I think that with the closer collaboration between Sweden and other countries, we need to rethink that. So one last thing, uh, be prepared because you will be under attack at some point, possibly not now, but most certainly in the future. And there are very easy things you can do to highly increase your security posture. Please listen to our former 177 episodes to learn more. <laughs> I was about to say you can definitely use a contact cement in the network uh, connector. That that definitely uh, heightens your your security posture. What? Yeah, uh, and then you rip out your Wi-Fi. It works perfect. Ah, but th that's well, that's not true. 
Like that's the most common response I get. Like, yeah, how can you be completely secure? Well, you rip out the network cable. Well, tell that to the was it uh, uh, Iranian nuclear power plant that mm. the U.S. hacked? Yeah. <laughs> they fact, didn't have well, any network connectivity. It wasn't the U.S. Oh, s- sorry. <laughs> the, the same way as no. it, it isn't Russia that hacks Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. No, stuck. So I'm sure you've both seen the the um, the Stuxnet documentary. Wow, go watch it. It is really good. Extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they go into details not only how Stuxnet was built, but also how it was deployed from a yeah. both tactical and and more strategic standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then the the last little bit before we head into some news in terms of certifications. You can now, and I think this especially since I'm working for a telco, you can now activate eSIMs as part of your automated device enrollment for iOS, which is a really cool service that when you have a phone or a tablet with an eSIM and you enroll it through Microsoft Intune, it will be done once it's done, as long as your uh, telecom operator are able to pre-provision the eSIMs for you. But I think that that really shows that Microsoft is thinking through the entire process of getting a new device. And eSIMs aren't always easy to provision, so this will greatly help. So, speaking about certificates and partnerships <laughs> and, and so that on. was terrible, Simon. Sorry. Two out of ten would not recommend. You will fix Anyways. it in post. Oh, well, I wish. <laughs> No, so there there are a couple of certifications coming out, and it, it kind of feels like the the people in the certification group are really cranking stuff out. We uh, fairly recently had a change from the DA one hundred, uh, the um, the data analyst, so Power BI data analyst essentially. Uh, that was shifted into the PL track, so the Power Platform. So it's. It's the same certification. It's called the same um, data analyst associate, I think, or something to the tune. It has been updated and, in my view, better aligned with Power BI as it is today and not as Power BI was two years ago when when the DA100 came out. So I think that is a good step, even though it it pains me that I will need to be doing a PL certification. I've I've tried (laughs) to stay away from the Power Platform for so long. But we also got news of a new, extremely exciting certification, the DP500. What is the, it's called the Azure Enterprise Data Analyst Associate. And looking at the, the contents of this one, it, it kind of feels like this is AZ100, or I should say 100 101, the original infrastructure certification that came in in two parts because this is about as wide but on the data side so it, it is is power bi it's synapse it's purview it's security it's networking it's the whole nine yards um and one heck of a certification i love the content i love the the way that they managed to structure the whole thing and i'm sure i will hate the certification when i write it um because I think it's going to be fairly difficult. Sounds fun. <laughs> but but I have a question here, and now the data platform community will rip me in pieces, but 
I can understand if you have a very broad Azure exam, mm-hmm. especially the 100, 101, because a an Azure administrator, especially when those exams were released, had to be very broad. Yep. My view is that what you just described will be very complicated, even for a very seasoned data expert, yes. because there are tons of new things. There are technologies that are rather complicated to understand and implement in practice. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a very hard exam and something that would be very rare to have as a, a, a role as a data administrator at this point. It, it might change, of course. It surprised me that it is an associate level certification. Yeah. Because this would more have aligned with a, an expert type or, or architecture yeah. type. But I also know yeah. that Microsoft has taken a lot of flack for their architecture exams essentially being a more detailed associate exam and not so much an architect uh, because as an architect you should yeah. look at the, the the overview and so i i, I kind of get that so in in many ways it kind of feels like they're using the associate level fairly broadly mm-hmm. and i think it's time to well and truly kick the idea that the associate level is just the middle layer I'm going to go ahead and say that this is the the meat and potatoes. This is where the work really gets done. So back to your question. Yes, this is going to be very wide. Mm -hmm. And it it kind of ties into a conversation that I've had multiple times at work where back in the old days, it it was easy, easier, I should say, because you could do one thing. You can be a database administrator and you'd be happy as that, or you can be a networking person. But Mm -hmm. these days you can't get away with that because you need to have some skills in all areas. And what I find really interesting is that they are bringing the the actual BI and the analyst stuff into a certification, which we've not seen for many, many years, where we had the, uh, the very strange 464 and 465, I think, or 764, oh, we, 765. Yeah. Th- those were the, the BI uh, ad- additions to, to SQL Server, which were only geared towards analysis services, essentially. Here we have the whole enchilada. It's everything from storage to to compute, to to security, to, well, purview and all that stuff. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. And I have not been this excited for a certification in, in years. Now I want an enchilada from Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And you also have the upcoming SC100. We have... Um, more Azure exams, and I just need to brag, I actually passed ASET, one, a, ASET 800 and ASET 801 during the beta, just got my results, which were two great exams that I know Tony would have loved. For sure. So you're Windows certified again? Yeah. <laughs> Windows Server, thank you. After oh, Windows having, Server. I, I wow. don't know how many... I will be very clear. I don't know how many times I've failed the upgrade exam from 2012 to 2016. <laughs> but I, I I don't know how to configure a cluster. <laughs> is, is, is this the wrong time to uh, note that my first certification was Windows NT4 server? Yeah, that was when I had my first certificate, my birth certificate. <laughs> oh, that was a burn. Ouch. So oh, yes. speaking of that, Teams is five. <laughs> <laughs> T- 
Teams is actually five years old. Can I get points for that segue then? Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Um, and it's it's so interesting to talk to people about Power BI. Um, and I, I've seen so many work ads going, oh, you need 10 years experience of Power BI. <laughs> Dude, it didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of look at it and realize, holy cow, that product has come so far, so fast. And Teams, well, it was fairly okay before the world ended. But holy crap, it had to do a kind of a crash growing up because suddenly everybody and their cat relied on this this piece of software that that is not old it, it definitely came into being during a pandemic yeah and i was trying to remember when i first used teams and i do remember that i didn't like it <laughs> no i i think we we had that conversation when we were working at, at yeah the i think we, we yeah i think you're right we i mean neither of us liked skype but we hated Teams. <laughs> yeah, but it was so much worse than Skype in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Which in, in itself is kind of impressive looking yeah. back at it. But uh, like you say, it, it now have capabilities that are extraordinary. And um, I think they still have issues with the client as such, which mm. they are working on. And I do think that they had to get Teams out of the door very quickly when they realize what Slack were doing. I think mm-hmm. someone said that it, it only took like, or if, if it were nine or 18 months from the initial idea until it was actually released, which is very quick for wow. such an integrated platform. But I just hope it's it's built to be a platform that can be extended over time. Multiple accounts. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. Is that how you extend it? <laughs> Exactly. You, you need to be guests in the new Teams platform. Oh, God. Can we please move on? But that was a kind of a good good segue to, to uh, um, Chaos Elmarinen. Oh, oh I like that. I, I, I'll, I'll take that name very proudly. So what Alexander is trying to refer to here is the new features in Azure Chaos Studio, actually, that have now included Key Vault and classic cloud services as targets for faults that you can configure for it. So uh, pretty much if you're not familiar with Chaos Studio, it's that you can build these experiments in there where you specify what kind of faults would you like to run on your resources and what are the targets that you are targeting. And at the moment, uh, there's support for virtual machines where you can have an agent-based fault in place. Uh, you can run um, faults in AKS, on Cosmos DB, and now we have also Key Vault and Classic Cloud Services added in there as well. And it just shows that this service is kind of growing all the time to include more and more Azure services as the targets to really run these chaos scenarios in there when for example, the CPU spikes or whatever the error might be that you want to have on your resource. So it's really the way to kind of check out is your uh, application, for example, able to handle those fault scenarios. On the kind of other other side of the fence, on the data data aspect, I guess. Where it's not chaos. <laughs> no, it's not chaos. It's uh, governance. Oh, that's, that's what it's called. 
in Azure Purview, where we have everything under control and structured <laughs> and classified, <laughs> that is where we have also gotten new features in. Uh, so the latest one is Workflows, which to me sound a bit like uh, logic apps, but within Purview. So what these workflows allow you to do is that they allow you to, for example, automate what happens when a specific thing is done on those data definitions that you have within Purview. So for example, um, you could, for example, have your data catalog where you have all your data sources listed and you have terms for them and they are classified and so forth. So for example, when you somebody tries to remove some kind of information, so more the metadata side, like the glossary terms, et cetera, from that, you can have something happen automatically based on that. This is um, software-defined networking, but from a data governance perspective. And, <laughs> and I, I think it is, it, it's, it's difficult to overstate how important this will be going forward because we, we cannot rely on doing things to a file. That's no longer yeah. the point. It's it's about everything else. So I'm really excited, even though, as everybody knows, I have my misgivings about Purview. It is not <laughs> done yet. I'm kind of tired of having to lug around this enormous duct tape just in order to get the damn thing working. But no, uh, it, it's going to be much better as we go forward. But, but do remember that if you look at um, Microsoft Information Protection, which is the file-based version or mm. of purview. You, you that, mean meep. Exactly. Better than ipe, though. <laughs> uh, that's, that's been around since server 2003 or something like that. And it, it's... And someone will... I, I'm messing up with a lot of people today. It's much easier to do that kind of classification when you have an actual file on an operating system with an agent. Yeah. So I think it's quite extraordinary to, to hear what they are doing with Purview uh, and how complicated it must be with all those data storage locations in practice. Yeah. So I, I find this very interesting and the next step in protecting data for real. And that's also going to the last bit of zero trust that you can today build zero trust all the way to the application layer. But it's been rather hard to build zero trust on a data point layer within an app. And and that will be quite interesting to to see where, where they take this. And I think one of the, the main reasons why it is easier for the likes of you and me to think about a file is that this is what we grew up with. I'm really excited to see younger people of today i mean we've had this discussion before some people uh, using a tablet not even knowing what a file is yeah and we're laughing about it but it brings with it so many more interesting opportunities mm -hmm. so even though we might not instantly get it the same way we're seeing things happening in, in real time i'm i'm excited again because it's interesting I also love when Alexander tries to make the point that he and I should be the same age. <laughs> so moving on to the missing link. Yes. So there are two really exciting uh, data services in Azure. 
One is Azure Synapse and one is Cosmos DB, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. And so there is Azure Synapse Link, which allows us to kind of bridge the gap between those two different services and use Synapse for analyzing data that we might have stored in Azure Cosmos DB. And the particular news item here is that uh, you can do partitioning using Spark 3.1. So from the Azure Synapse side on your Azure Cosmos DB that is connected with Synapse Link. But for that to make any sense, I think I need to explain a bit because I see yes, a bit please. of confused faces around here. And so I'm assuming somebody else might be a little confused too. So if we think about the Cosmos side first. So Cosmos DB is a document store. Well, the core SQL side of it. And um, you are able to enable this analytical store on the Cosmos DB. And so this becomes a columnal store that is really kind of optimized for these analytics scenarios. And so it essentially it is separate from the regular transactional store in Cosmos DB and is optimized for that side, whereas the regular side is more optimized for the reads and so forth. And so how this then links with Azure Synapse is that then with from Azure Synapse, we're able to connect to this analytical store with Azure Synapse Link. And in the regular Cosmos DB side, we need to have a partition key when we choose how we want our data to be distributed. And that partition key will then, uh, on the on the backend, ensure that kind of when you search by that partition key value, you're able to fetch all the data from one node. So it's really fast when you query based on the, those partition key values. But actually in the analytical store, uh, there's no partitioning by default. So this this is actually bringing that partitioning capability into uh, also the analytical store, and you can partition it from the Spark side of Synapse. And then that, that partition store points then are stored in the data lake storage that Synapse is linked with. And then you can decide how often you need this refreshed, this data set that you have, available there. So it's quite an interesting setup, but again, it kind of starts to get quite complex and there's many kind of parts involved and how they link together and how we make that all happen. But again, this partitioning really makes it also possible for this analytical store to be really fast for specific queries by specific values or fields that we have in our data. A couple of years back, the column store indexes came into being in SQL Server. And this was where you, for the first time, essentially could combine online transaction processing, i.e. high, very quick, short transactions with analytical processing loads, where you generally have much larger queries that run for longer periods of time and are, are generally geared toward um, um, summaries and, and um, averages and, and those kinds of, of math. This is taking the same thing to Cosmos. That's yeah. the, the um, analytical store as, as Haney was talking about. And then the, the um, connecting that to Synapse is really exciting. So stuff is happening. And in Cosmos, yes. I remember vividly saying something a couple of years ago that Cosmos was a bit of a one-trick pony and it was expensive and it was boring. 
I've had to eat that hat multiple <laughs> times, which I happily do. I love being wrong because it means that I can learn so much. All right. So we went to London. Haney no, and I went yeah, to- Yeah, exactly. You and Haney went to London. Thank you for that. Yeah, because you, I mean, we, we can't invite just about anyone, can we? Uh, you don't sound bitter at all. <laughs> Not at all. Good. Now be quiet. So we, Haney and I went to, to London for sequel bits. And last, I think at least two sequel bits have been virtual. Yes, they have. I, I was registered for sequel bits in 2020, but mm -hmm. then it got cancelled. Right, it got cancelled, yeah. and 2021 was... Virtual. Virtual, yes. I think, yeah. I was going to speak, but then they they changed it so you had to pre-record your session, and that's when I, I simply did not have the time. But now it was back, and it is fantastic to be back again. Yeah, and I think what made it extra special was that it was actually hybrid this time. So both on site and then also online at the same time. And it actually went really smoothly. But since we're kind of heading more into towards this direction that there are events happening again, not just online, but also in person, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and what, what makes events spe specifically like in-person events the most exciting for you? Why do you do it? Let's start with the selfish reasons. I have still a very hard time getting energy from speaking online. I need a very big online audience to really feel that I get a, a big amount of interactivity or a lot of people that have their cameras on and are interactive. So I see myself as a better speaker for the ones that are listening to me if I'm live. I'm as the ones that have seen me have realized I move a lot. I have a very hard time in do getting the same kind of energy on stage when I need to stay within a very limited space. Now, this new office might change that, but uh, all 12 square meters. Have you gotten a meters. new camera that will follow you when you move around? Hopefully. And we are talking oh, really? camera cameras. That's the thing. Oh. But but yeah, so I was from kidding. A, <laughs> I actually had that question from from a colleague that do you have any any recording equipment that we could use when recording a live podcast? Hmm. Funny you should ask. Yeah, how many? How many? Like for the AVD Techfest, I was basically saying I have everything we need to make three simultaneous sessions hybrid in my mm -hmm. office. Um, so yeah, but I think that that's a big part from a speaker point of view, from an attendee point of view, it's meeting people that I wouldn't have met virtually. I yeah. still haven't figured out a good way of meeting people I haven't met in a virtual context. Uh, mm. And that's been like just meeting a lot of the people that I've followed or seen on Twitter at South Coast Summit last uh, fall were fantastic. And I think we, we have all, always spoken a lot about these hallway sessions, but mm. being able to have a one-to-one -one discussion with someone or a group discussion on, on whichever topic, it's so rewarding. So I, I had the, the uh, 
the honor, I should say, of bringing a mentee to mm -hmm. Bits, meaning that I got to experience Bits through her eyes. And well, she, she was completely overwhelmed on on the final day that and she she looked at me and said, Why am I so tired? We've we've just been talking to people for three days. Why am I so tired? Exactly mm -hmm. because of that. So she went from just about zero network. She, she of course she can she can Google just like anybody else, but suddenly she now have faces and names, and they have a face and a name on her. She can reach out. She can ask questions. In essence, she's well. Her 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 professional network is is ten times, a hundred times bigger than when she came there. So I I see, I see uh, a conference like this as a, a um, multiplier in so many ways. So definitely the 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 spontaneous meeting. Walking into someone while having lunch, or, or walking in, walk even better, walking by a, a session room, yeah, and just on a whim, going, "Hmm, this is interesting," and suddenly you find <laughs> yourself in this amazing discussion about something that you didn't know you were interested in, and that does rarely happen on online. Yeah, I, I think it's very similar experiences for me as well. Uh, this time specifically for me because it was, well, we were in a live event in October and there I met some people, but a lot of the connections that I have made are are online before this, you know, through Twitter, uh, meeting people on online events, mainly other organizers and speakers and some attendees as well. But it was almost for me like, well, where can I find this uh, online face here live? <laughs> you know, it, it's a it's a bit like, do I know that person? Like they look familiar, and it it's a little like trying to get oriented and being a bit confused. Like who who are the all these people? It turned into conference Pokemon. I gotta catch them all, <laughs> and it, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. No, but, it, but it's it's so fantastic to meet people in person and talk to them because that discussion will always lead to some tangent and suddenly mm. you're you're talking horses with someone from Oklahoma before you knew it. So yeah, no, I for me, uh, in person is infinitely better than doing uh, doing it via online. But having said that. I had the weirdest experience last Monday. So there's this um, huge event called the Global Power BI Summit, which is hosted by Reza Rad and, and Leila Tati. And it's essentially a worldwide online event. Yes, you have to pay a small sum for it. But the, the idea there is that everything is pre-recorded. But one or two times, depending on the time zones, the speaker hosts a 30-minute Q&A that is not connected to the speaking slot. So oh. you can watch the video whenever you want, essentially, and then it's the, the Q&A slots that are out, out there. And that's not new per se. What I experience this time that I've never experienced before was that it was 20, 25 people in the Q&A mm. and they were asking really good questions and giving me really good uh, thoughts, feedback, ideas about 
the untruthful art, which generally do not garner any questions. Mm -hmm. And this is the first virtual event that, in my view, actually kind of worked. So I'm starting to swing a bit on the whole pre-recorded thing. It might not necessarily be that bad of an idea. But if it's we we have spoken about that that I had a great I've always had a great time at JNUC where we have recorded and then you're there answering questions. But you need a certain amount of people to make that mm. possible. So therefore, I kind of like the Q and A format that you described now because then you're welcome to come here. I would answer any questions you might have, and then you can focus on the yeah, catch the session whenever you like. I'm available here. Uh, and that kind of open mic forums, I, I think, works very well. And if you're the only person in the room, well, great. Then you have Alexander for yourself for half an hour. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting format because for me, like just hearing it, it it doesn't sound like why would this work any better than any other format? It it doesn't sound logical, but it's interesting to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that is a very good observation. We tend to try to do virtual events just like we do in-person events. And I yeah. think that is probably not the way to look at it. It's essentially forcing a square peg into a round hole. Instead, we should try to figure out new ways of structuring the whole thing. And it's so easy for me to sit here and say that. But that's I, I, I kind of feel that we've come to the end of the road with just trying to transplant a live event onto the web. It works with a quotes around works, but it is not the best way, I think. But it, it definitely brings up a question. And I'm curious to hear your view on this because this goes back to Kubernetes. Um, so for bits, they, they, they've taken some measures, fairly good measures, I might say, uh, towards accessibility. And I, mm-hmm. I applaud that. One was that we were required to send in our slide decks in PDF, if we so desired. We didn't need to, to submit the actual PPTXs. And we were supposed to tag any and all images with text. Had this been PPTXs, it would have been done automatically. In PDFs, well, not so much, because the reason was that people with any kind of disability of any kind could download the slide decks and have, have an, a, be, be prepared for this session. I'm not convinced, let's just say that, but I'm not quite done yet. Then we had the transcription, which is instant. and. Kubernetes is fun. Do you know what index full scan turned into? Index foreskin. And this was front and center so many times. And I I, I overheard a few people that had had um, hearing issues, essentially. And they, they said that, well, this is not helping. This is just distracting. This the idea is sound, but the technology just sucks. So this is actually making it worse. And that kind of got me thinking that the only way to get this to work, if, if you really mean what you say when you say that you, you take accessibility for, um, for real, well, get a 
damn translator in. Sign language translators are a thing. Just get them on stage. That's the only way that you can make sure that the, the uh, everyone is given the same opportunity, in my view. So, long discussion. What's your take on these attempts at accessibility? I I kind of think that we have to start somewhere. And yes, it the texts were a bit distracting, even without any you know difficulty because you start reading them you can't kind of help yourself and then you're just kind of stuck reading them and slightly wondering like ah okay but i i do think that for these to improve we have to start using them that's that's just a fact i'm not sure that we will get them like 100% perfect on the first go but also for a sign language interpreter there's also the issue that there might be p- people who just have a bit of impaired hearing but do not know the sign language so again it's not a full solution so i think it's just we should be definitely trying this out and have the best we can for events but i don't think we're going to have the best solution on the first go it's just unrealistic in my opinion and i would agree with you if this were the the first go We've seen this yeah. kind of technology at Ignite many years back, and it's still terrible. So it kind of frustrates me that we are now two years into a pandemic. We still have these kind of, of issues. Well, on the other hand, it turns out that transcription is a kind of a hard problem to solve. But yeah, meh. Accents, you know, people from different countries all speak yeah. a little Ben Weisman is different. always hard to to transcribe <laughs> but Kubernetes come on Yeah but it wasn't wasn't that a thing that Microsoft released this domain specific voice recognition service oh. that they should learn and they showed it at build where it did actually understand how to speak when you when you spoke about code so it, mm. it did understand that javascript weren't something else uh, it did actually understand that in this context, this is likely what the person is saying. Yeah, and I think that is required for these yeah. to become better, to have the context included, because if it's a regular voice recognition, like it's not going to expect no. Kubernetes or something no. like that in there. And and that takes me to another interesting point. If you're a, if you are used, or if you're using sign language, how do you say technical terms i'm guessing yeah this is me guessing and showing my complete ignorance i am guessing that you would approach it as you would approach um a foreign word essentially in any language in in, when it comes to sign language i i would guess that you are uh you're going to go for each and every syllable you spell it yeah you spell it essentially but I'm, I'm guessing we need to we need to find someone who actually does sign language because this is a really interesting discussion yeah, that would be nice. And, right. and and speaking of sign language, <laughs> Simon just did this. Can we move on? Because we're way over time again. But this was a really interesting conversation. I'm I'm really yeah. happy that you brought it up, Penny. So um should we just end with what about a must follow Twitter account? Yeah, I found it. It's um C-R-E, Microsoft. And it's the corporate real estate for Microsoft on Twitter. So you follow them to learn about all the buildings that Microsoft are actually using and decorating and and managing. 
And it's absolutely fascinating because they have so many different venues and rooms and designs. And I absolutely love it. It's it's the inner interior geek of mine. And it's a, a core component of the digital workspace. Dude, you need a hobby. <laughs> yeah. Like what? <laughs> wow. Th- that's my focus segment next time. Interior design for IT pros. All right. That'll be interesting. So uh, speaking of next week, so this episode was recorded on the 15th, but it won't air until the week after uh, due to the fact that I'll, I'll be traveling and everybody has schedules that look like a disaster. Uh, but we will be back in about a week or so with new exciting content. And we're always managing to find people to talk to that are more interesting than, than at least me and Simon. Thank you so much for listening. And until then, have a wonderful time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com. <laughs>